I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The world we inhabit is not as free, or certain, or safe as you might think. The things that you believe to be unassailably evident are little more than shadows dancing behind a curtain. A masquerade, crafted and dutifully upheld by an organization known as the Foundation. The file you are about to hear contains containment procedures, descriptions, testing logs, historical and in some cases first-hand accounts of the anomalous objects the Foundation serves to secure, contain and protect. Its contents have been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. The Iceberg was easily the best dairy bar in all of Douglas County. The milkshakes were creamy, the burgers were hot, and the cheese fries didn't taste like they were half prepared from a freezer bag. People would come all the way down to Slothspit from Superior in order to have a so-called pizza burger, which was what Dr. Christopher Hastings was attempting to enjoy at that moment. One hand was on the burger, the other on his phone, scrolling through a foundation bulletin about wildfires on the other side of the country. His reflection in the phone screen as he turned it off showed a man in his mid-thirties with blonde hair sticking up at odd angles that looked almost horn-like. He picked at his burger, half-heartedly. You okay, hun? Ruby Williams stole one of his fries as she asked, dipping it into some cheese sauce. It's official. Polystichium zenosis extinct in the wild. Oh... Ruby frowned. She'd taken some interest in parabotany since she and Chris started dating, so she knew what it meant. Greatsword Fern? Really? Their entire habitat was ravaged by the fires started by some fucking idiot's gender reveal party. He laughed bitterly. Congratulations. Your stupid parasite of a child's responsible for wiping out an entire species of very rare, very anomalous fern that had the potential to cure cancer... The only remaining specimens of it are here at 87, 29, and 53. He shook his head. The fact that we're eating at a dairy bar in October is proof the world's on fire. Nobody wants to do a goddamn thing about it. He tore into his burger with an angry growl. Hell, I'm not helping. The cow they killed to make this made enough methane to kill a man. The amount of rainforest clear to make it will probably accelerate our climate apocalypse by about five years. All because stupid fat Americans want to eat their fucking beef. Ruby sighed, thankful that they were the only customers. It was the middle of a weekday, so the worst they could get was disapproving looks from the staff. She sipped at her Pepsi. Ever hear the fuck it adjustment? You told me before. He sighed. If you can't control it, say fuck it and forget it's a problem. But I can't, because I'm part of the one damn organization on the planet that can do something about it. Because half the fucking council makes their money on fossil fuels. Ruby put her hand up. You're going into conspiracy mode, hon. Sorry, he sighed. Fuck! I study plants for a living. We're killing them off en masse for our own greed and gluttony. I feel like... He looked past the red building the iceberg occupied, a genuine drive-in from the 1950s at the edge of town, past which there were only woods. I feel like whatever's coming, we deserve it. The rest of the meal was eaten in silence, except for Ruby pulling out a flask and mixing its contents with Chris's milkshake. 
Two hours later, Christopher Hastings was in Greenhouse 3, talking to one of the last great sword ferns in the world. The thing was so called because each of the fronds on the fern resembled a sword, and were large and sharp enough to match. The northwest corner of Greenhouse 3 was entirely occupied by the plant, which stood a good six feet above Chris's head, at its lowest point. He stroked its leaves and sighed. Maybe you'll make seeds soon, he hoped, and we can try to repopulate you in your native environment. Hell, maybe the Foundation missed a few. I know you can survive in caves, and there have to be a few out there, right? He shook his head. Right? He turned to face the rest of the greenhouse. It was a balmy 70 degrees in the so-called hothouse, colder than outside, a fact which Hastings did not appreciate. Greenhouse 3 was meant for the containment of specimens native to temperate rainforests, and was easily his favorite. Between the Jenguid bonsais, the strutting shrubs, and the carnivorous plant section, speaking of which... It was feeding time. Chris took out a burger he had gotten from the iceberg and made his way over to one of the carnivorous plants. They looked straight out a little shop of horrors, because they were. When the high school had put on the musical, someone in the science club tried their hands at genetic modification and created a Venus flytrap the size of a car that could sing and dance and nearly killed the actress who played Audrey. He threw the burger into the thing's mouth. An entire pit had been dug out of the center of the greenhouse, lined with concrete past the dirt to stop its growth. It would need pruning soon. The sprinklers activated, and Chris found himself getting soaked. He was about to spit out a curse when he realized that it wasn't the sprinklers meant for watering the plants. It was the fire suppression system, and the alarm hadn't gone off. He made his way to the hothouse door, pushing on it. It stuck fast. He wiggled the handle, pulled, slammed his whole weight against it, but it wouldn't budge. He picked up a hammer left lying from recent repairs and tried smashing through the glass. Nothing. And the sprinklers kept running. But it wasn't water coming from the sprinklers. Stagnant as it would be, it didn't smell like this. It almost smelled like... Gasoline. His eyes widened. Shit. He immediately dove into the concrete pit, yelling out an apology to the plant at the bottom. Rudy's Cafe was a simple storefront in downtown Sloth's Pit. It was down the street from the library, at the corner, with seating in the front and back. In the front was a glass window with a large sign that read, Please wear masks when entering, and a photograph of the deceased Rudolph Dyer sat beneath it, smiling at the customers with the guarantee that, despite it being in different hands, the food was still just as good. Allison Carroll and Robert Toffelmeyer both sat behind the cafe at an extra-long table. Robert was enjoying his meal while Allison Allison was scrolling through something on her phone, making damn sure that Robert couldn't read it. An update for you guys, flagging Rabbit Holy Diver here especially, about the whole deal with the phobic migration. New reports came in from Chicago about a family being terrorized by visions of their dog being torn apart by something that looked like their neighbor, a known animal abuser. The dog was fine, but all of this led to said neighbor being shot. A week before that, a child in Carol's stream was cornered in a public bathroom stall by what he described as a man with pointy hands and mutilated. He is, thankfully, alive and stable. Authorities aren't releasing much beyond that. There have been a dozen incidents in the Chicago area, and it seems to be following a northward track. If the timetable I have is correct, then it arrived in Milwaukee on September 15th, the same day that a congregation at Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church reported seeing an image of Christ descending from his crucifix and proclaiming that none of them were saved. Isn't Price from Carol Stream? Hmm? Robert looked up from his pain all chocolat. Yeah, I think so. What's up? Just something I read. She wrinkled her nose, wincing slightly and rubbing at it. Ow. 
Still sore from your COVID test? Robert asked, looking over his spectacles. I've got mine scheduled for evenings. Doesn't ruin your whole day after. Mm. Allison sipped at her iced tea from a straw behind her mask. She looked more carefully at her partner. Since when do you wear glasses? I've worn contacts since you've known me, but they've stopped making them in light of... He waved his hand around. Yeah. Eesh, I'm sorry. Shouldn't affect me on ops. He dug into his pocket, bringing out a set of goggles. Prescription tactical gear. Can you believe what we think of sometimes? Allison's reply was muffled by the sound of fire engines rolling out of the station, horns blaring, for the second time in the past week. From the sound of it, they were heading east, and... On the east end of town, where Site 87 should be, a cloud of black smoke was rising. The plants around Christopher burned. Being in the wet maw of the thing at the bottom of the pit helped shield him from the fire. He couldn't pinpoint the source. But as he climbed out from the concrete pit, a shirt covering his face on top of his mask to minimize smoke inhalation, he knew what he saw could not be possible. His life's work, his friends, were burning around him. And beyond that, the site, the town... The door to the hothouse seemed to be open now, and he was sure he saw Site 87 in flames, tinted green by whatever toxins were burning from within the site. Not possible, he tugged at his hair. Not possible, you were only in the pit for three minutes. No fire spreads that quickly unless it's nuclear. And if it was nuclear, you'd be a shadow on the ground. This is some kind of bizarro space that's trying to make you crazy. This isn't real. This is... He leaned on the rail that surrounded the concrete pit, letting out a screech of pain as his hand burned. Despite not looking at it, the rail was hot enough to cause blisters on his hand, and it wasn't just his screech he was hearing. Help us. You failed us. Why didn't you help us? You did this to us. Why did you do this to us? He braced himself against the heat and made his way out of the hothouse into the burning landscape beyond townsfolk had surrounded the burning ruins of the site and were trying to climb through the windows, not that they could access the site proper that way. Those who weren't on fire looked like they had been exposed to bizarre mutagens, legs that were too long, arms with too many hands, and necks without heads. A woman carried a long, limp thing in her arms that Chris thought was a bundle of cloth at first, but then realized that it was a child, gasping and screaming for breath in the choking miasma. And all the while, Site 87 and the town burned and screamed, and Christopher knew, somehow, that it was his fault, that he should have been better, that he should have taken responsibility and somehow gotten the foundation to fix it before all this happened. Not real, he said, clutching his burnt hand and walking away from the greenhouse. Not real. This isn't real. When Robert and Allison pulled up to the site, the former didn't even wait for the car to come to a stop before exiting, scrabbling through the dirt as he ran to the back of the site. Can't be a coincidence, he heard Ruby Williams shout to her brother. One second he goes off on a polemic about climate change, next he's stuck in a burning building. It's suspicious, I'll grant that, Blake Williams said. But we need to let the fire department do their job, sis. We can't go rushing in there. What's burning? Robert came out of the passenger side of the car and ran up to the Williams twins. What's going on? Greenhouse 3. Ruby swallowed. Chris was in there. Has been since we got back from lunch. Jesus Christ. Robert heard at least three different hoses going, trying to extinguish the blaze. Sloth's pit only had a handful of fire engines, and from the look of it, at least half of them were here. Anyone go in yet? Ruby shook her head. They're saying that something's weird. There's heat and smoke and things are burning, but they can't see any fire. That settles it then. Robert rolled his neck. I'm going in. What? Allison rounded the corner as he spoke. What do you mean I'm going in? Used to be a National Guard firefighter. I know the procedures. Ruby, Blake, and Allison all watched as Robert flashed his badge at a firefighter, no, the fire chief, and commandeered his gear. 
Allison stepped up beside him, flashing her own badge. Gonna need another set. Allison, no. Robert held up a trembling hand. You honestly want to go into a burning building, let alone an anomalous one? Alone? She frowned at him as she noticed the tremor. You good? Bad memories. First found out about the anomalous fighting a living forest fire. He took the jacket as the chief started to strip down. If you're coming in, I can't promise I can get you and Hastings out. Allison chewed on the thought and nodded. Calms at all times. Things get too hairy, you evac. You almost sound like you're worried about me. Robert shook his head. I'll be fine, Alice, really. A few minutes later, Robert, suited up and carrying a spare oxygen tank in one hand, entered the burning greenhouse. Christopher's thoughts flipped between not real and my fault. This couldn't be happening, but it had. But the town can't be burning, but it was. Mutated burning things that may have once been people lunged at him occasionally, screaming and growling. He could see the hatred in their eyes, the blame they placed solely on him. My fault, he gasped. This is all my fault. All of it. All of it. He had walked away from Site 87 and found himself in the woods. Trees were engulfed in flame. The entire historic forest surrounding the town was burning. All his fault. All the Foundation's fault. They should have acted before things got to this point. Anyone could have. But they didn't. He found one of the few patches of grass that hadn't been scorched by the inferno and sat down. He couldn't think. He was having trouble breathing, and his heart was racing. He had sweat that had absolutely nothing to do with the heat, and... When had he started crying? What was happening here? He took a deep breath, and it turned into a gasping sob, which made his chest ache. He shut his eyes and put his hands over his ears, blocking out the light and roar of the fire. The last thing he wanted to do was die having a panic attack. Robert Toffelmeyer stepped through the other side of the greenhouse, finding himself in something that looked like sloss pits at a blaze, but it wasn't. The fire looked like it was being broadcast onto the buildings by a reel-to-reel -reel projector. The burning masses of people were nothing but flaming, misshapen scarecrows. The pungent smoke, that much was real at least. It smelled like a tire fire, even through a respirator. The grass beneath him crunched unnaturally, and he realized it was some kind of artificial sod. The whole thing had the feel of the haunted experience he went to at an amusement park one Halloween. An outdoor haunted house, basically. But Toffelmeyer couldn't help but feel as if the whole thing looked very different to Dr. Hastings. Okay, you weird, cheap, extra-dimensional haunted experience. Meet modern technology. Hey, Helen? A tone sounded from his earpiece. What's my position relative to Dr. Christopher Hastings? Dr. Hastings is approximately 500 meters west of your location. GPS data is unavailable. Toffelmeyer started hustling through the landscape into the woods. They were similarly cheap-looking, with the same projected flames and what appeared to be artificial snowflakes mimicking ash. Every single tree was exactly the same as well, cheap, manufactured. In the distance, he saw a figure in a lab coat curled up on itself and rocking back and forth. Toffelmeyer moved faster. Hastings heard something coming toward him through the inferno and looked up to see a figure approaching him, ablaze, screaming. He stood up and backed away. Back the fuck off. Hastings, it called, reaching out to grab him with a gloved hand. Hastings. Hastings found a knife in his hand. Where did it come from? He swung at the thing coming towards him. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. The thing paused. Its face, though melting, was visibly confused. I, I should have done more. I should have stopped this. The world is burning and it's my fault and I'm sorry. The creature raised his hand and Hastings swung at it. I'm sorry, please. I. The thing recoiled and produced something from what Hastings thought was a pocket. 
a photograph of Ruby, somehow untouched by fire. Hastings stared at it and knelt to collect it. The thing didn't stop him. It didn't do anything but stand there as he picked it up. Where'd you get this, he asked, brandishing it at the creature. Well, say something. March 2020. Are you going to say something? Researcher Christopher Hastings looked down at the table in front of him, and then up at Ruby. What's there to say? I fucked up big time, stuttered my way through my whole defense. Hey, most people don't even get a thesis to defend for their doctorate. Ruby opened another bottle of beer and started drinking it. And it's kind of a formality, isn't it? Like, your thesis has been evaluated and all that. Still, Chris tugged at his hair, making it messier still. Jesus Christ, the number of typos I found after I submitted it. One or two extra periods isn't going to break a thesis, hon. Ruby looked over the bound volume on the table by him and opened it. Though this is the first time I've seen one in book form. A botanical necropsy of SCP-097. Dry as sand. Hastings shook his head. Hun, Chris, look, you're stressing out over nothing. What's done is done. The past is dead now. It can no longer hurt you. You did not just quote Night Vale at me. Chris hit his smirk behind his hand. Did you read it? Of course. I didn't understand a lot of it, but what I did, the work that Hubble did to make 097-1 grow that massive and contain something that malicious, I wish I could have talked to him more. Chris's phone buzzed. A text flashed on the screen. He sighed. Partridge wants me to see him. Probably wants to give me the bad news in person. Ever hear the fuck it adjustment? Ruby took another swig of her beer. If you can't control what's happening, if it's completely out of your control, don't stress over it. Just say fuck it out loud if you need to. And move on. So if I don't get my doctorate, just say fuck it? Ruby nodded. Right? Well, fuck it, I guess. Dr. Christopher Hastings exited the break room to receive the best news of his life. Yeah, Hastings rubbed his nose. Fuck it, just fuck it. Nothing I can do, so fuck it all. Reality made a whoop sound, and he found himself back in the conspicuously unburned Greenhouse 3, with a fireman by his side. It took him a moment to look through the respirator, but eventually realized who it was. Toffelmeyer? What the hell was that? Toffelmeyer asked, helping him to his feet. Why the hell were you saying, fuck it, fix it? I, I don't know. He looked at the photograph in his hand. Where'd you get this? Magic pockets. Toffelmeyer reached into a pocket on the firefighter's jacket and produced three different types of candy, a bottle of aspirin, and a roll of bandages. Side effect of the pit sloth. Neat, huh? Useful. Hastings looked down at the photograph and sighed. I owe her an apology. Long story. Oh, he rushed to the other side of the greenhouse and sighed with relief as he saw the great sword fern was intact. Then, thoroughly exhausted... Dr. Christopher Hastings fainted. That was Ruby at the hospital. Toffelmeyer placed his phone back in his pocket. They're keeping Hastings there for observation. Something about elevated adrenaline levels. Allison spat toothpaste into the sink and looked at Toffelmeyer, rolling her neck. You did good, even if you didn't need the gear. What the hell happened, anyway? If I had to guess, Toffelmeyer scrolled to his phone before throwing it to Allison. Read this. The phone displayed an article. On the Occurrence of Phobic Manifestations in Modern America by Randall Owings? Who's that? Phobologist. Works at a site down in Arkansas. His work is Mundo classified. Don't know why, but that article describes events where your worst fear becomes reality. And you think that's what happened? She frowned. From what you said, it was like a bad haunted house. 
I don't think it was meant for me. It feels like it was built for Hastings and I crashed the illusion by going in. He frowned. They're thinking of bringing February out of the coma in a couple of days. You think he had a phobic manifestation too? Allison wrinkled her nose. He has been antsy about cops for a while. It's worth looking into. There was a knock on the wall outside the bathroom. The two of them turned to find Agent Saren Price, her blonde hair in a messy ponytail, looking at them. Drew the short straw in your absence, Carol. One of the washers at the laundromatic tried to eat someone. We're on it. Toff, you're with Gray. Spectral disturbance at the Walmart. Wonderful. Allison bagged her toothbrush and gave Robert a nod before departing. Try not to die of excitement, he called after them. Fuck you too, Allison laughed. Then, silence. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you hear, follow the link in the description to patreon.com slash SCP Unredacted and help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. You can get access to production logs, merchandise, recognition, and even a part in a skip. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki, upvote their work, and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Gregory Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.